Luke chapter 1. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, and we're looking at uh, the Advent, and we're focused on the announcement of Gabriel to Mary here the last few weeks. Um, We've kind of stretched out one sermon and turned it into four or five sermons. And as you're turning there, we're in Luke chapter 1, and I'll be picking it up in uh, verse 31, so you can kind of be finding that. So what we are focused on is we are focused on obedience, obedience. Here's what Mary says at the end of the announcement um, that's kind of our key verse here for the last few weeks and, and for today. This is what Mary says, Luke chapter 1 verse 38. It says, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And what we've been focused on is how remarkable this statement is. That Mary is all in on God's plan for her life. Um, She hears what God's plan is and she says, hey, may it be to me according to your word. I am your servant. In other words, it's one of the greatest statements in the Bible on obedience to God that you could find anywhere in the world. And so what we're wanting to do is we're saying, hey, listen, let's work on our obedience to God, obedience to God, obedience to God's plan, obedience to God's will for our lives, um, obedience to everything he says. And what we've talked about is that biblical obedience is not compliance. It's not like, oh, you know, we gotta, we're forced to obey God. You know, God doesn't come to us and say, I'm going to force you to obey me. In fact, what God does is he does things in our life to where our obedience is not compliance. Our obedience is commitment, where we willingly want to obey God. Mary, at the end of the day, she wasn't like, ah, I guess I got to do God's plan. You know, I guess I'll just be disinterested and just obey God because I don't want to get zapped by lightning. You know, like, like, dude, that totally wasn't her obedience. Her obedience was a willing obedience. Her obedience was, I want to obey God. May it be to me according to your word. I am your servant. And the angel departed from her. Now, here's the good news. God not only commands us to be obedient, but with the command gives us the power to be obedient. Augustine said, God, command what you will, but will what you command. And so what we've been excited about is that God empowers his people to be willingly, committedly, I just made up that word, obedient to him. And in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about two ways that God empowers us to be obedient and, and that we want to place ourselves under these two means or streams that God uses to bring about obedience in our life. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, number one, God empowers obedience through messengers. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me the team you put around yourself, the voices that you're listening to, the information you're taking in, and I can pretty much maybe accurately pinpoint the direction of your life. God calls us to bring ourselves under his messengers, beginning with the prophets and the apostles, beginning with community, family that loves God, friends that love God, and bringing ourselves under messengers because as we bring ourselves under the right messengers, we will be inspired, yes, empowered to be obedient to God. 
That's why we need preachers. Can I get an amen? That's why we need godly friends. That's why we need wise counsel. That's why we remind ourselves that we don't have too many self-originating thoughts. Our mind and our hearts are shaped by the lives and by the information of others. And so it's important we put ourselves under the right messengers like Gabriel. The second thing is that God empowers obedience, not only through messengers, but we talked about last week. God empowers obedience through grace, through grace. That, that knowing I'm accepted by God is a critical foundation to me following Jesus in my life, following God, having a desire to follow him. Because if I'm trying to be obedient to God, to be accepted by God, I'll be frustrated, I'll pretend, I'll give up. But if I know I'm already accepted in the gospel, in the work of Jesus Christ, then from that foundation of acceptance, I have a desire to follow God in my life to be obedient. And so that brings us to this week. That brings us to this week. New content. How does God empower us to be obedient? How did God empower Mary to be obedient to him? And the third way is through the Messiah. You know what you need is you need the Messiah. You need the Messiah. Now let's define Messiah real quick. I want to give you a working definition of Messiah because this is so important. Uh, Messiah, to define Messiah, I want to kind of define it in a kind of a practical way. Uh, A Messiah is a person who saves people from a very bad situation. That's a Messiah. A Messiah is a person who saves people from a very bad situation. So when we're talking about, I need a Messiah, we're talking about, I am in a very bad situation, and I need somebody to come and be my Messiah, somebody to come and save me. A Messiah is a person who saves us from a very bad situation. So we're not talking about, like, uh, plumbing, you know, like, when you, like, I got a plumbing problem, I need a Messiah. No, you need a plumber. Can I get an amen? Like, are you trying to tell me that I don't, I shouldn't pray over my latrine in the name of Jesus for it to be healed? It's like, well, do that, but then call a plumber, you know what I mean? But when we're talking about the concept of Messiah, what we're talking about is, I'm in a really bad situation. I need to be saved. I need a person to come and and save me from a very bad situation. And what is my very bad situation? Well, it's not the bad symptoms of my life. It's the bad core or the bad root of my life. The very bad situation that you and I as human beings are walking in is we're trying to live the good life without the life of God living in us. We're trying to accomplish God-sized results without God being in us. We're, we're, trying to, we're trying to live for divine purposes without God being the core of our identity, the, the core of everything. That's why we Christians, we talk about the need to be what? We need to be born again. We need to be born again by the Holy Spirit. We need a relationship with God. We also talk about the fact that we need to become new creations. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new is come. And the only way a human being can be born again, the only way a human being can become a new creation with new purposes, with new energy to live for God is if 
the Messiah comes into their life. And even as a follower of Christ, I have to remind myself that I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am not the one who can continue to fix the the, the part of me on the inside that's running from God. I got to keep running to my Messiah. I got to keep running to Christ. I got to keep running to my Savior so that I can have a desire to be obedient to God. God empowers us to be obedient to him through the Messiah. And we want to be obedient because we want life, not death. We want to be obedient because we want life, not death, light, not darkness. We want want truth, not lies. And the only way that we can walk in the obedience that God is calling us to is if we have the Messiah. Do you have the Messiah? Do you have the Messiah living in you? Are you following the Messiah? Are you following Christ in your life? Because at the end of the day, it's not about strategies that will make us obedient to God. It's about the Savior that helps us to be obedient to God. Now let's come to this text. You're like, okay, where's that found in the announcement of Gabriel to Mary? And how is that critical to her obedience Um, to God. And let's pick it up and let's look at the middle part of Gabriel's announcement to Mary. Luke chapter 1 and let's look at starting in verse 31. Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. Here's what he says, a remarkable statement. It says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, just by way of reminder, you're like, please don't remind me. No, I'm going to remind you because I'm a faithful pastor. Amen. Here's the reminder We do not believe that Mary is a mediator of grace. We believe Mary is a recipient of grace. That changes the whole theology of how you read this text. And I'm not trying to create a fight today. I'm not trying to, you know, go and redo the fight against the Catholics, you know, 16th century. Okay, this is as important as that was. I'm just trying to make an applicational pastoral understanding of the text and that is that Mary is not a mediator of grace she's a recipient and what that means is is that in some ways what happens to her in Jesus coming into her life is exactly what happens to us when we're born again can I get an amen what happens when I'm born again Jesus comes into my life God comes to me and he says he says hey knucklehead you're walking in darkness I'm like who me 
Yeah, you. And what happens is by the miracle of grace, I can't fully comprehend it, but the life of Christ comes into my life. I am covered by the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus is spiritually conceived in my life. You're like, that's weird. Darn right that's weird. Because what you and I needed as human beings to be fixed is some weird stuff from God. Namely, I must be born again. And Jesus has to come into my life and he's got to change my heart and my mind. And so what's happening to Mary is a picture of what happens to all people when they become Christians. Jesus is conceived. Oh, man. Jesus is conceived in people's lives. And what Gabriel says is, here's what you have now, Mary. Here's what you have, believer. When Jesus comes into your life, this is the kind of Messiah he is. He's the one and only true Messiah from God to save you from a very bad situation. And as he comes into your life, he will inspire obedience. He will give you the desire to be obedient. And so it's interesting. Because if you read the announcement carefully, what Gabriel is doing is Gabriel is not giving Mary a resume. In other words, he doesn't emphasize what Jesus is going to do as, as, as important as that is. What he emphasizes is who Jesus is. So it's more of a character reference statement than it is a resume of his work. It's more of look at who you have in your life. Look at who you're bringing to the world. Look at the quality of this Messiah. Treasure and behold the beauty of this Messiah. I believe that's foundational for me. That, that what's critical for me is not only that I look at what Jesus has done for me. He died for me. He defeated death. He did miracles. He walked on water. He cast out demons. He's got an awesome resume of infinite quality, but it's his character reference that inspires my heart. Who is our Messiah? And Gabriel tells us, behold your Messiah. Call not only on what Jesus has done, but call on who Jesus is. And therefore, consequently, this passage is one of the greatest passages on Christology in all of the Bible. Because what Gabriel does is he gives titles for the Messiah. He gives different names. He gives different ideas. This is who the Messiah is. And so let's look at these titles for our Messiah. Asking that God the Holy Spirit will inspire in us a desire to follow such a quality Messiah. Such an infinitely great Messiah. The titles, we'll take them in their order. First of all, Gabriel says to Mary, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. There's no greater name under heaven by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. And what does the name Jesus mean? The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Jesus is the Lord. And the Lord is salvation. The name of Jesus reminds us that human beings cannot save themselves. That human beings are incapable of fixing themselves. 
The Lord is salvation reminds us that, that human strategies, human philosophies, human efforts or strength, we cannot save ourselves. We needed the Lord himself to come down and to save us. I was reminded of, <clears throat> as I was thinking about the name Jesus, I was reminded of Jonah when he's in the belly of that great fish and he was in rebellion against God. And the turning point in his life, the, the turning point in, in his whole identity and existence was when he realized and he said in that great psalm of praise as he's in the great fish, he says, the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Jesus came to save us because we could not save ourselves. And what this tells us is that Jesus is a loving and humble Savior. He comes to meet us where we're at. He comes to say to us, listen, I know you can't save yourself, but I'm going to save you. Our Messiah is Jesus. Our Messiah is not somebody who comes to us and says, can you, can, you, can, you, can you get your life together? Our Messiah doesn't come to us and say, clean up your life or, and then I'll come into your life. Our, our Messiah doesn't come and say, hey, listen, I need your resume for how good you can be for God. No, our Messiah comes and says, unless you let me save you, you will not be saved because my name is Jesus. That's why we believe in Jesus and we follow Jesus and we worship Jesus and we call him Lord and we call him God because he is the Lord and he is the Savior. This is our Messiah, Jesus. The second title, which I almost overlooked um, just because sometimes I have a problem with details, but the second title title that I see here that Gabriel gives to Mary for Jesus is verse 32 it says that he will be great everybody say great 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 that word great is significant I believe this is a title our Messiah is Jesus and Jesus is great great in what way I believe that Jesus is great in the way that all other human beings have not been great. He's great in righteousness. Jesus is great in being a human being in obedience to his Father and to God. Jesus is great in being a representative for all human beings. Jesus is great in the way that the first Adam was not great. The first Adam came and, and disobeyed God. The first Adam disobeyed God's command and, and therefore led all of, all of humanity into separation from God. And we're all born with the original sin of the not great first Adam. But Jesus is declared in the Bible to be the second Adam and he came to be a new representative. He came to be great in obedience to God as our representative. And when we believe in him, we're transferring our, our family identity from the first Adam to the second Adam. This is our Messiah. You know what our Messiah is? He's not only God who saves, he is man who is faithful, man who is righteous. Jesus is great, perfect. He was tempted in all ways, and yet he did not sin. He was 
great in terms of being completely obedient to God and yet loving and merciful to us. He was righteous. And when we believe in this Messiah, he fixes our very bad condition, which is that we are unrighteous and deceitful. You and I are not great. And power in your life is not going to come from trying to pretend like you're great or smarter or better or, or that somehow that, 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 that you, have, you have figured life out on your own, that you're going to be a conqueror for God on your own. No, greatness comes when you admit that you're not great. Strength comes when you admit that you're weak. Strength comes when you say, I need a Messiah today. I need Jesus to be the great one in my life because I'm not great. I am not great. God empowers obedience in his people through the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? The Messiah is Jesus and the Messiah is great. He's my hero. He's my savior. He's my second Adam. He is my liberator. He is great. Not only is the Messiah Jesus and not only is he great, but Gabriel goes on to say, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. Now, this is the most striking title with messianic significance is right here. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the reason why this is the most striking title in terms of the Messiah is because of the prophecies that Jesus is fulfilling. Let me give you a couple of those prophecies. God came to David and said that David would have a descendant who would be great. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verses 12 and following, God promised King David this. God said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He goes on to say in verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In other words, a son would come and that son would be the Messiah. Now let me give you another, another passage. And I don't think I put a slide for this together. But you can just listen really closely. Or you can turn your Bibles. If you're really fast at turning the Bible. You're like, no man, I'm like a wild west. I can get anywhere in the Bible in two seconds. Then go to Psalm chapter 2. Verses 7 and following. And listen to this. Where it talks about the Messiah being the son says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He goes on to say in verse 12, kiss the son. Lest he be angry and you perish in your way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
Now, Mary would understand these things. Mary would understand these prophecies. And so when Gabriel says to Mary, hey, listen, the Messiah, he shall be called the Son of the Most High, the the, the Son you have conceived, the one that you're bringing into the world, Jesus, he will be great. And he is the fulfillment of these messianic prophecies to David and in the book of Psalms that, that the Son would come. And would be the great liberator and savior of God's people. We understand as well. Not only the significance of this title in terms of of the Messiah. But then he goes on to say. If you could look just real quick. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. Where Gabriel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy The Son of God. This is significant because what what these verses are saying and what the Bible does is it says, okay, God promised a Messiah who would come through the line of David. He would be called the Son of God. Here it says he would be called Holy the Son of God. So the Messiah not only comes to deliver, but the Messiah is God in the flesh. The Messiah is divine. Jesus is the Son of God. And it's deep, and it's profound, and it's hard to wrap your mind around it, but the idea of Jesus being the Son of God is that he has the same divine nature as the Father. He is the Son of the Father. Therefore, he has the same divine nature as the Father. I was born the Son of Dawn, which means I had his same nature, his same good looks. Can I get an amen? His same shortness, dynamite comes in small packages, right? I've got brown eyes, I've got brown hair. So, so I have a lot of the features because I'm of the same human nature and got the DNA of Don Gutteridge. Well, Jesus, the son, is the son of the heavenly father, meaning he has the divine nature of the heavenly father. Therefore, it's significant that we say that our Messiah is God. Can I get an Amen. Jesus not only is fully human, he is God in the flesh. He is the son of God. And people say, why is that so essential? Why is that so significant? Well, number one, because our problem is so significant. You know, when you and I, when you you and I rebelled against our maker, we created an infinite offense. That means that the payment to make atonement To pay the price of the penalty must be an infinite payment. Therefore, the only one who could die to pay the penalty of my sin has to be the infinite Son of God so that when He dies and He sheds His blood, it's of infinite quality to pay for my full sin so that I know beyond a shadow of doubt that there's no separation between me and God through the power and the love of Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. This is our Messiah. You say, how does God empower obedience in our life? Through the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? He is Jesus. Can I get an amen? He is great. Can I get an amen? He is the son of the most high God. Can I get an amen? And so it goes on to say that the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Here's the third or the fourth title, verse 33. And he will reign. Everybody say reign. 
He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Who is our Messiah? He is the King. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. He rules and reigns over the hearts of his people even now. And even now he is beginning the great inauguration to the coming kingdom. His kingdom which is an already kingdom and yet it's not yet because it's on its way in its full consummation. But we can trust and believe that God through Jesus is bringing to us a king who will reign with justice and peace and righteousness. Who is bringing an ultimate reign. To make all things new. To take away all sad things and all sorrow and all sickness and all sin and all, all duplicity. Jesus is bringing a kingdom because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. This is the character reference of our Messiah. Say, so what do I need to be obedient to God? Man, you need the Messiah. And you don't need like a Messiah who's like, like, kind of nice or you don't need a messiah who's just kind of a good teacher you don't need a a messiah who's just like a an inspirational historic figure you don't need a messiah who gives you nice christmas cards from hallmark you don't need a messiah who just is the meaning of the little itty bitty presents under the tree no 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 you need the ultimate messiah you need jesus who is the lord who is salvation you need the great one you need the son of god you need the king of kings and lord of lords and when you have him You have everything, everything you need to love God and to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. How does God, how does God empower obedience in his people? Not only through messengers, not only through grace, but through the Messiah. And do you have a relationship with the Messiah? Do you have a connection to the Messiah? Has the Messiah been born again into your life? Is he centered to your identity? Are you centering yourself on the Messiah, the Christ? You say, okay. That's pretty good. It's pretty good theology, Pastor Josh. It's pretty good. But what would be the practical application? How do I walk practically in this great theology of the Messiah. Well, I would just say this, that it comes, it's so awesome. Um, because Gabriel says two times something very significant. I want you to lay your eyes on it one more time. Let me just be technical, just real quick, one more time. But go to Luke 1, verse 31, and watch this closely. Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. You see that? He will be called. Now jump down to verse 35. One more verse and I'm done. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. He's saying Jesus is holy. Jesus is the same one 
who's at the center of praise in Isaiah 6 when the seraphim and the cherubim said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Man, that's Jesus in the middle of that throne room. Can I get an amen? And he's saying, he will be called holy. Now, here's the thing. This is the big question. Whoa, wait a minute. Time out. Are we saying that he will be called holy, the son of God, like like he's going he's gonna to die and defeat death and then at his resurrection he'll be given the title of holy and son of God. For example, Romans chapter 1. I said I wasn't going to read any more verses to you. I just lied. That's really bad and unholy. But Romans chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 it says concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God. In power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, he's declared to be the son of God after his resurrection. Is that a title that's conferred on him? Or is that a title that's given to him by those who have realized who he always was? And the answer is, he will be called holy, the son of God, by those who believe in him as the Messiah. Can I get an amen? He was already the son of God, eternally the son of God. He was already this, this great eternal son of God. He didn't need the resurrection to be the son of God. He didn't need to die for our sins to be the son of God. He didn't need to be uh, incarnated into this world to be the son of God. He was already the son of God, but he's called the son of God by those who stop and say, you are the son of God, and I've realized you're the son of God because you died for my sin. I realize you're the son of God because you defeated death. I realize you're the son of God because you took my place on the cross I am deciding to call you what you already were which is the son of God we call on Jesus we call on him because he is the son of God you're like how can I do that this week how can I call on Jesus as Messiah son of God let me give you three ways really quick and it's going to be great because we're going to have like little ones singing for us today. So what a great Sunday. Amen. All right, so here's how you take this home with you. Three ways. Call on Jesus in three ways. Number one, remember he is your priest. He is your priest. In the Old Testament, there are three leadership roles. There's prophet, priest, and kings. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all those. And number one, he's your priest. And what that means is, is that the way to come to your Messiah and call on him this week is to bring your sin to him, to confess your attitudes, to say, Jesus, I'm going I'm to call on you to be my priest this week. You've come to deliver me not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin this week. I'm going to call on your name, and I'm going to say, this is where I'm, str- I'm struggling with anger, Jesus. Help me. Forgive me. I- I'm, struggling. I'm struggling with anxiety, Jesus. Help me. Help me remember that you're in control. I- I'm, struggling. I'm struggling with materialism, Jesus. I've got greed and envy because it's Christmas time, and I want... Uh, did you see that pastor who bought his wife a Lamborghini for $200,000? I want to buy a Lamborghini for Sherry. I'm going to pass the offering plate one more time today. We're going to see what we can do. Get Sherry baby a Lamborghini. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, like materialism, envy, the need, for, the need for applause. I'm coming to you, Jesus, to be my priest. Forgive me, liberate me, take away not only the penalty but the power of sin in my life. And you know what? You don't even have to start with the big stuff this week. Just start with some little stuff and let your, let your heart work up to the big stuff. You know what I mean? Just start, just kind of dip your toe in the waters of confession. Say, man, I got this attitude. And start getting into that water and work your way up to the big stuff that's really destroying your life. The big addictions, the big habits, the, the, big, the, the big things that are obscuring the glory of God to your heart. Go to your Messiah. He is your priest. He loves you. Confess what's your sin this week that you need to go to him with. Here's the second thing. Let Jesus, the Messiah, be your prophet. He's the Adam. He's the prophet. He's your example. He's the one that's calling you to obedience. What's he calling you to be obedient to? What's the positive things he's calling you to do? Love like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Be Christ-like. I keep telling people, and I keep preaching it, which is why you probably get sick of me, but I keep preaching that the goal of our life is Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit is working in you Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit wants me to be like Jesus this week. The Holy Spirit wants me to be like Jesus. He's my prophet calling me to follow him and to repent and to turn and to hear his word and to do his word in the strength that he gives to me. He's calling me to be Christ-like. That's your goal this week too. Am I being Christ-like? Am I, does my words sound like Jesus' words? Does my life look like Jesus' life? Do I forgive like Jesus forgives? Do I, do I speak good things over people I love like Jesus speaks over me? Jesus is speaking good things over my life. So I'm supposed to speak good things over my wife and over my family, my kids and my church. I speak good things over you because Jesus is sanctifying me with his word. He's my prophet. He's my Adam. He's my example. And this week you can call on him and say, help me to be like you. Jesus is my priest. Call on him with your sin. Jesus is my prophet. May he be your example. Here's the third thing. Jesus is my king. Call on him. Like, what's that mean? You know what that means? It means that we refuse to be cynics in a broken world. It means we refuse to give in to dark, negative, skeptical thoughts. It means that we refuse to believe that bad results are the final outcome of reality. You know what the final outcome of reality is? The kingdom of God. And we're to act like it's coming. We're to act like it's going to come any minute. We're to represent that kingdom in the king. We call on the name of the king and say, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And until your kingdom comes, I will be a representative of what it looks like in my life. And I will hope in it. I will be a person of hope and life and love. I'm not going to be cynical. I'm not going to let the news get me down. I'm not going to let the politics get me down. I'm not going to let my circumstances get me down. Because my king is bringing the ultimate kingdom. My king's going to wipe away every tear. My king, king is going to give me eternal life in his kingdom with him forever. 
So I'm not afraid of bad news this week. I'm not going to be cynical, negative, and go down into the poison mud of culture. I'm going to, I'm going to stand above it. I'm going to be an example that I believe in a king who's coming and he's on the throne and he's sovereign and he's in control and I'm not going to act like this week that he's not in control. This is the week I'm acting like Jesus really is the king and he's on the throne. How does, Jesus, how does God empower obedience in his people? Through the Messiah. Are you calling on your Messiah do you know his name? Do you know that he's the priest and the prophet and the king? Do you, do you call on this one who is so great? Are you walking with him in your life? You see, religion comes to us and it has a vision. And the vision of religion is to create strategies for obedience. Formulas for obedience. And those formulas are focused on our own efforts, on, on our own in, innate abilities and our own uh, unique personality giftedness. And of course, we are gifted and we do have great personalities. But at the end of the day, strategies will not make our hearts obedient to God. Ultimately, it's the Savior who gives us a willingness to obey. It's our union with Jesus. It's our life in Christ and it's walking with Jesus as our priest, our prophet, our king, as our ultimate Messiah. God empowers obedience in his people through the Messiah. Next week, we'll talk about the fourth and final way that God empowers obedience in his people's lives. Let us pray. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be our Savior. Thank you that he was great when we were weak. Thank you that he is the Son of the Most High, the fulfillment of your prophecies, and, and ultimately that he is the divine Son of God who added to his divine nature human nature. Thank you that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, that he brings a kingdom that will reign forever. So Lord, save us. Call us to belong to you. Enable and will the commands that you give to us in our hearts. Shape us so that we treasure you above all things and, and that we see the beauty of your will and your plan for our life. May we turn from darkness, turn from disobedience, turn from sin and lay hold of Jesus as our priest. And Lord, as we do so, may you do something in us that we could never do, which is transform our life. We thank you for Mary, who was our example of how you can work in our life. And so work in us the same thing that you worked in her, a desire to be your servant, a desire that our life would be exactly according to your word. Thank you for these things, and we give you this day in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.